Welcome to Good Monsters. My name is Cody Lawrence. This is episode 21 of Good Monsters. Don't be nice. If you would like to support the podcast, go check out our YouTube channel. Uh, We're trying to get some more subscribers and some more likes and get the video out to more people. So if you could like and subscribe and comment on the videos, that really helps. You could also consider leaving a review in Apple Podcasts and a subscribe on whatever podcast platform really helps. And finally, consider sharing it with a friend who needs to hear this stuff. We want to get this podcast to more people to help strengthen Christians to be more Christ-like. So let's get into the episode. Thanks for tuning in. going to give you two phrases to consider. The first one is this, don't be nice. And the second one, be nice. Which is better? I can almost guarantee if you are the typical evangelical or any otherwise non-angsty individual that when you heard the first phrase, something inside you cringed. And when the second phrase was uttered, a wave of relief fell over you, as if to say, Shoo, this Christian isn't actually telling us not to be nice. This is some kind of clickbait or clever trick to convince people to keep listening. No one in their right mind would try to actually tell people that they shouldn't be nice. Well, unfortunately, if you've been listening to my podcast long enough, you know you're dead wrong. The correct answer is, it depends. But the correct answer is certainly not, be nice. Let me explain. Should a person always be nice? Clearly, the answer is no. There are times and places where niceness is acceptable and good, but not all the time nor in all places. On the other hand, should a person always avoid niceness? Obviously not. But here comes a big, fat, roly-poly but. And this may be controversial to some Sunday Christians who don't read their Bibles as often as they should. Oh, and lack a backbone. But there are also times and places where it pays to be rough, offensive, direct, harsh, condemning, aggressive, and so on. And yes, I did say that may offend people lacking a backbone. How are you feeling back there? If the phrase, don't be nice when you first heard it offended you in any way, and you did not have exactly the same reaction to the phrase, be nice, I think you have some reflection to do. Clearly, we can take a practical look inside of our own life and understand that a person can't be nice all the time. But perhaps you think our religion calls us to more than that. Not what is humanly possible, but what is divinely possible. The answer to that question is in the Bible. So let's grab it off the bottom of that stack of books in the corner, dust off the spider webs, and hope the spine doesn't fall off when you crack it open. A biblical approach. Was Jesus nice? Yes. Was he not nice? Yes. 
If that made your eyebrows raise, if they weren't already floating feet above your head, consider this. Was Jesus nice when he drove out the money changers from a temple with a whip hollering and throwing furniture? John 2.15 I would argue the controversial position that, no, he was not nice. Was James the brother of Jesus nice when he wrote to the church calling them adulteresses? James 4.4 Try calling any little old lady in your church a whore and get back to me. But if that doesn't suit your fancy, I'll save you the trouble. No, James was not being nice. Was Paul being nice when he curses false teachers? Twice, Galatians 1.8. Or when he says, gasp, that gays will not be allowed to sashay their way into heaven. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-10. Again, no. In fact, I dare you to find a single person in the Bible who would define Christian love in the fluffy teddy bear with a muzzle way that many modern Christians define it today. Those people lost their fight so long ago that they don't know which box in the attic they put it in. And looking for it in all those boxes would sure be exhausting. Maybe tomorrow. Say there is a person who is committing sin in your church. Let's say they have a temper and let it loose a little too often and it ends up manifesting in a destructive and unchristlike way. Your obligation is to confront them, bring their sin to their attention. Now, let's say that they are deeply repentant, but the problem continues. This is a significant struggle of theirs and they are not able to even repentantly control their problem all the time. But it's possible that if they weren't aware of it or repentant, that it would be much worse. This is fine. God bless them. And God bless you for going to them about it. They are faithfully trying and relying on God. And you're the brother or sister who's walking with them through it now. But let's say that the same person in the exact same situation is unrepentant and they don't really care. Otherwise, they volunteer in the homeless and youth ministries at church. They donate their money as well, over 10% of their income. The men's ministry even appreciates it when it's his turn to lead the Bible study. You feel like it would be cruel of you to confront him about that one small thing. Maybe it will go away on its own. But even if not, let's say you do confront him and he blows up on you. That would be uncomfortable. And it's possible that if his temper gets the better of him again, he may leave the church. And Wouldn't both he and the church be much worse off without his time and money? Well, no, it wouldn't. This is sin, not only on his part, but also now yours. Notice, you would not only be complacent now, but likewise unrepentant. And Christ doesn't look well on unrepentance. Niceness isn't the solution here. Niceness here is complacency and sin. What this man needs is a strong kick in the pants. The willingness to offend, in the first example, is the righteous thing to do. Another example. Let's say, instead of a single church member, it is an entire church that is in sin. Or, hypothetically, let's scale it up to all of evangelicalism. Hypothetically. Let's say that a good number of pastors and churches are focused far more on appearance, money, status, recognition, writing books, the pews being filled, or getting praise from a few dozen congregants after their sermons on Sunday. 
than they are focused on the Word of God. Hypothetically, let's say sin in a good number of churches goes unconfronted. Let's say many members of said churches are unrepentant sinners themselves. Let's say the books of false teachers are passed around the churches like candy and they just can't wait to get a hold of the next Tim Keller book for their Bible study. Bible study? I meant book club. What are we to do? We are not to be nice. We are to exhibit all of the roughness of the prophets when calling out the sin of the people of God. We are to show the confidence of Paul when putting down false teachers. We are to unapologetically call sin what it is, like James. We are to speak the truth of Scripture even if it offends, like Jesus. This is biblical. It is unbiblical to only imitate Christ's gentleness while shoving aside Jesus' righteous anger like a vegetable you don't like on your dinner plate. Who are you to say that we should not insult people who need insulting like Jesus did? By what authority do you say that Jesus' meekness was better than Jesus' wrath? This is cherry-picking on an old, tall, wobbly ladder that's missing a few rungs during a hurricane. To the people who object, saying, but that's unloving, you're quite right. God hates sin, and we should too. Psalm 97.10, Romans 12.9, Proverbs 8.13, etc. Dare you say that Jesus Christ, the Lord of the world and everything in it, is wrong? If he is wrong, then we shouldn't be imitators of him at all. But if he is right, we should imitate all of him. And although it will be imperfectly, that is our job nonetheless. It is worse to not try to imitate all of Christ in fear that we might mess it up. That in itself is messing it up. Conclusion Christianity needs more roughness. A smooth blade can't cut through anything substantive. The best thing it can do is cut butter. And Christianity isn't up against spiritual butter. It's up against Sauron with his entire army of orcs and Nazgul. Ephesians 6.12 Our Christianity needs to be able to cleave through the evil forces before God. It needs to be sturdy enough to chop down the mighty idols crafted from the strongest wood. But it doesn't seem like modern Christianity is leaving very many destroyed idols in its wake. It may even be building them and sticking them in all of the church's nooks and crannies and putting a big squishy one behind the pulpit. If the word of God is sharper than any sword, modern Christianity must be using the flat side of the blade. Hebrews 4.12 Swords are weapons of war, but can be kept sheathed. If we use it at all, we're not supposed to be using it improperly. Swords aren't meant to be used to pat the heads of the chumps who allow their heads to be patted by the flat side of the word of God. It is meant to pierce and cut, dividing soul and spirit and bones and getting straight to the heart. Many Christians and even teachers need to be taught how to properly hold their sword, or they need to pick up the one that's not made out of a balloon. And to do that, maybe we need to take a few swings at them with the real deal. So, swing away.
just make sure you're using the pointy part. 